In Psalm 103, David writes these words. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he says this, who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who, who, uh, who restores your youth like the eagles? That's who he is. That's what he does. And maybe you're here and, and you need healing. You need hope. You need restoration of a relationship. Our God can do all that. That's who he is. I'm going to ask Scott. Where, Scott's back here. Scott, would you run up here real quick? And Scott has a, a cool story of, of what God has done. And maybe this would just encourage your faith boost your faith. Sometimes we need that, right? Sometimes we're stuck in something and it just seems impossible. And when we hear the story of how God intervened for somebody else, it gives us the faith in Jesus to believe that he can work on our behalf as well. Put this right up against your mouth. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. It happened about uh, a year ago. I woke up one morning and I, I could not move my hands. They were swollen and um, it lasted for about three weeks. Uh, third week, I decided I'm going to go to the doctor's on Monday. Well, it was on that Sunday during the worship songs. I just prayed for Jesus to take this pain away from me. And by the next day, it was gone. So, you know, I, have, I believe in Jesus. I haven't always followed him. You know, I'd always ask growing up, you know, why me, Lord? And I'd always get, you know, why not you? You know, when things would go wrong or whatever. But no one really explained how it works. But since I come to this church, it's just, I realized I don't have to be perfect, that he will still heal me. He will still show me his grace. And then also about two months ago, I came up here and asked Pastor Ken, I said, since he has healed my hands, we need to get my blood sugar under control. And we prayed. And the next morning when I took my blood sugar, it went from over 300 down to 219. So it's just amazing what he has done in my life, and thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is the character of God, and I, I invite you to look in the Word of God for yourself. In, in Exodus 15, as God is introducing himself to this nation of Israel that has just been freed from Egypt, they've just gone through the Red Sea, this is how God introduces himself in Exodus 15, 26. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. I'm the Lord who heals you. 700 years before Jesus, before Jesus' death and resurrection, 700 years before Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, it's looking forward to Jesus coming, and he says, by his stripes we are healed we're healed jesus when he stepped onto the scene would heal the sick he'd heal those who are infirm so here's what i want you to get listen pastor ken isn't your healer this church isn't a healing place it's jesus who is our healer and no matter what you're going through i want you to know that there is hope and there's healing that god loves you he hasn't abandoned you he hasn't forsaken you he knows you he sees you and he loves you and if you'll reach out to him i love scott scott saying listen i'm not an a plus christian okay i don't have it all down i don't have it all figured out i just know i asked jesus and jesus heard me and jesus touched me it's not based on what you do it's based on what jesus has done for you 
and you're so loved. You're so loved this morning. All right, my little, I'm going to preach later on. That was not, some of you are going, is that the sermon? Are we getting out now? No, no, you're not, you don't get off that easy. Would you find someone around you that you don't know? Would you introduce yourself to them and greet them this morning? Well, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Journey Church. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Aaron. I'm the youth pastor here at Journey Church, and we are so glad that you guys are here with us this morning. Hey, if you would, please just uh, grab a connection card in the back of the seat in front of you, or if you're in the front row, turn around and grab one of these, and uh, we're going to collect these at the end of service. But if you are one of our guests and uh, you're visiting Journey or you're just checking it out, kind of kicking the tires, as Pastor Ken likes to say, and uh, we have a gift that we'd love to send you, and if you could give us some contact information, that would be super, super helpful. We really appreciate it. We have a few announcements we're going to get through before we get into the rest of our service this morning. But uh, next Sunday, next Sunday, I'm wearing my shirt in anticipation because I'm excited. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. We're going to be baptizing some, some people next week, so don't miss it. This is always a celebration, always a wonderful time. God always does something incredible. And, and if you're kind of on the fence like, I might want to get baptized, show up in shorts, okay? Come ready, all right? Also, on April 30th, we have our noisy offering. And for those of you who aren't sure what a noisy offering is, it's an offering that we take, and it gets a little noisy. Just want to make just want to explain stuff. Thank you. There, Yeah. So what we do is, this is actually going towards our kids' ministry, something called BGMC, which are, is our Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, and it is what they raise their money for in kids' ministry. And so every fifth Sunday, we do this, and so the kids are going to come in, and if you've got dollar bills, that's great. If you want to write checks, that's great. If you want to drop in a card, just make sure you write the pin on the back of the number. That, that, that helps us out. That way we don't have to, it's a lot of extra follow-up on our end, so thank you. Uh, but if you want to take all those dollar bills that you're just like, I don't know what to do, they're making my mattress lumpy, you can take those, go turn them into coins, put them in a bucket or a jar or something, and just make a bunch of noise here with the kids. And they run around and collect that. It's, it's one of my favorite Sundays. I always enjoy it. And we've also been talking about camp. Camp is coming up. We have youth camp in June. And I know, like, you know, maybe you're like, is summer already here? Hold on, next week's coming. Uh, but... Yeah, and uh, but in June, we've got youth camp. In July, we have kids camp. And if you have not yet registered your kids, you need to do that as soon as humanly possible. Uh, we have registration slots that are going away as far as reserved, but they're still available. But you need to, uh, you need to get the deposit in, and the deposit is $50. That holds your place. That holds your price as the price raises as we get closer. So uh, if you're thinking about that, you can see me afterwards if you need anything else with that. But we want to make sure that your kids are able to get to camp. So there is a very interesting story that actually takes place in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And uh, we have a little portion of it. This is uh, surrounding King David and uh, when he's ruling the nation of Israel and he kind of sets a precedence. He's asking for something because during this process he's wanting to uh, build and begin building the temple of the Lord. And so he, he says to all the people, hey, let's, let's bring what we have into the storehouse so that we can begin to build the temple for God. 
right? And so in that, we, have, we see this story taking place in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In verse 11, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. And David doesn't just complacently say, like, hey, I've given enough, like, let everybody else give. Even though he's speaking to the nation of Israel, King David himself actually brings in everything that he has, all of his silver and all of his gold, and sets a, a precedence, kind of sets the example for those who are following him, to his people. And so out of that, we actually see that uh, it continues through the rest of the chapter that all of the people likewise gave abundantly that day. And the Bible says the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And that for us is just to kind of set that example that God is doing something incredible in his people then, and he does continues to do so now. And he does that through our, our giving. And so there are a number of different ways you can give. They should have a slide on the screen behind me telling you all the different ways that you can give here at Journey. But this is not to make Journey's name great, it's to make his name great. Because we're proclaiming the name of Jesus, not the name of Journey. And so we want God to continue to move in us as we obey him and continue to bless us as we give to him. So Jesus, in your holy name, thank you for what you are doing. Thank you that you have given us the opportunity to give. Thank you that you have set before us your commandment that we, to, that we are to give with a whole heart and to give joyfully. So Lord, multiply what we are giving. May this expand your kingdom and your name in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Journey. Good morning. Oh, man. Hey, turn to the person next to you and say, buckle your seatbelt. Buckle your seatbelt. Come on, buckle your seatbelt. Today, um, we're going we're gonna to get in your business today. And so if, if, you, if you feel like your feet get stepped on a little bit today, that's all right. That's part of the plan. That's part of the, the purpose. But I will tell you this. I was talking to a gentleman after the first service, and he said, he said with tears in his eyes, he said, Pastor Ken, I wish I would have heard that 40 years ago. It would have saved some bumps and bruises. What we're going to talk about today and what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is so vital and so important. So we're calling this guardrails, and we're taking this from our driving experience. If you've been driving very long at all, you've noticed these these things along the side of the road called guardrails and for the most part we don't really pay attention to them until we need them right and guardrails are they're meant they're strategic they're intentional to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas we need those guardrails. We especially need those guardrails in some pivotal places. We, we, when we're driving you really hope that there'll be a guardrail if you're going across a bridge right because there's little room for a mistake. And you want to know that if something happened, that at least I'm going to bump up against that instead of going fully off the bridge, right? We need vehicles if you're driven the interstate and there's oncoming traffic and there's lanes of traffic. Like, you'd like to know that there's a guardrail between those lanes of traffic, right? Because the closer that we get to moving to people who are moving in the opposite direction, the more we need protection. We need guardrails on curbs where there's places with unexpected changes. The great thing about a guardrail is that if I bump up against a guardrail, I might do some damage to my vehicle. I might have to go to a service station. But if there's not a guardrail, let's say it's a bridge in Ohio during the winter, and there's not a guardrail, 
I might need more than a service shop. I might need a hospital or a morgue, right? Like guardrails are there for our benefit. They're there to protect us. Now you might be saying, okay, Ken, you're a pastor. What in the world? Why are we having like this you know, public service announcement about guardrails? Like I'm, I'm at church. I want to hear about scripture. I think guardrails and rumble strips, or as Pastor Aaron calls them, uh, farts. What do you call them? Like car farts. That's right. Uh, <laughs> You should drive with him sometime. It's pure entertainment. And so, uh, you know, when we're talking about white lines or yellow lines or car farts or guardrails, or, these, these are all great analogies to the, some, some, some issues, some things that we read about in the part of the Bible called the wisdom literature. Now, some of you are like, I've been following Jesus a long time. I didn't even know that there was wisdom literature. Like, what's the wisdom literature? Well, your Bible is not just a singular book. Your Bible is a library of 66 books. And one of the categories of books, if you think about going to a library, which probably some of you should go to a library sometime. They're great places. And, and you'll see there's fiction and nonfiction, and there's places for science and art. And, and in the Bible, there are different categories. There are different sections of the library. The first section is history. And you're going to read about the history of Israel, which is re- really our history as people of God as well. And, and then you'll get into what is uh, uh, the wisdom literature. Or there's poetry, there's wisdom. And the wisdom literature, for the most part is the book of Job, the book of Proverbs, and the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and these books are chock full of wisdom, just practical wisdom to help us. I encourage you, sometimes as a church, we don't spend enough time in the wisdom literature. I remember as a kid, I remember there's a season where uh, in the book of Proverbs, um, we would read a proverb every day of the month. In fact, it would be really easy. If you want to start doing this, you don't have to wait until the first day of the month. Today is uh, April 16th. So you would go to Proverbs chapter 16 because there's 31 of them. You could do this. It's really cool. And so you'd go to Proverbs 16 and we would read every day. We would read a proverb and we would highlight like one thing from that proverb that stood out to us. It was a great way of growing and learning. If you have kids, this is a great thing to do with your kids is to help them learn the wisdom of scripture. And so as you read through the wisdom literature, what you, what you find is that there's so much practical knowledge and understanding for us. So we're going we're gonna to first, uh, we're going to do some reading in Proverbs, and then we're going to jump over to the New Testament. But today, let's start in Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, if you want to find it, if you have a paper Bible, just kind of open it in the middle, and most likely you'll be in Psalms or Proverbs. If you get to Isaiah, you've gone too far. Proverbs chapter 8, and I'm going to read a few verses that aren't in your notes and won't be up on the screen, and then we'll get into the part that, that is in your notes. But um, we start out, and Proverbs is, again, all about wisdom, but in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is personified, and so we have the voice of of wisdom here in Proverbs chapter 8. It starts out this way in Proverbs chapter 8 verse 1. It says listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. By the way, it's really interesting in this chapter and a lot in the wisdom literature, wisdom when it's personified is always personified in the voice of a woman. I'm not saying, I'm just giving you information, you can figure out what that means, but On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates at the entrance to the town on the road leading in, she, wisdom, cries aloud. I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, and a lot of us in this room would say, yep, that's me. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, 
Show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. Now you could keep reading. If we had time, we'd read all through Proverbs chapter 8. But I want you to skip over now to verse 34. So we're still in Proverbs chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 34 through 36. It says this, joyful are those who listen to me. Now let's pause. Who is the me here? Okay, seven of you are with me. Okay, we're, we're gonna bring everybody in the room together in just a moment, okay? When, when, joyful are those who listen to me. Who is me? See, you guys are so smart. I knew you guys had it in you. Joyful are those who listen to me, wisdom, watching for me, again, wisdom, daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me, again, me is wisdom, those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. Do you catch all that? So here's how I would picture this. So on one side of the board, we have wisdom. And at the, at the very end of verse 36, you see we also on the other end have death. We have wisdom and we have death. Now wisdom, let's just look right here in scripture. In verse 34, the very first thing that it says about wisdom is that joyful are those who walk in wisdom's path, right? Or for most of your translations, it's the word blessed. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. But for most of you, wisdom is the place of blessing, which means that it's the place of joy, it's the place of rest, it's the place of peace. In fact, I'm actually gonna write the word peace down here. If you keep reading what we just read of verse 35, for whoever finds me finds what? Life, life right? So wisdom is the place of life. And then what else does it say? Finds me, finds life, and receives what? Favor. favor. How many of you would like to have some favor at work or at school or in your relationships, right? So whoever finds me finds Favor. So we have over here wisdom is a place of blessing, it's a place of peace, it's a place of life, it's a place of favor. But then he's, uh, wisdom, she, I should say, she says this, but those who miss me injure themselves, all who hate me love death. So there is this place of wisdom, but there is also this place of death. And death doesn't just, when we're talking about death, we're not just talking about physically we're not just talking about physical death. Death in the Bible a lot is talking about spiritually or relationally or even emotionally, right? Like that, that we, can, we can be dead men walking. You can be walking and talking and be dead on the inside. So, so here, here's, here's how I would give an analogy because some of, I'm losing some of you already. So here's just a great practical analogy. We're going to go back to the idea of guardrails. Let's show this picture of the road. What I would submit to you is that wisdom is the place between the yellow lines and the white line. That's the place of wisdom. If you're driving, and I, I know some of you have your Jeeps, you have your all-terrain vehicles, you, you like to go off-roading. Those vehicles are meant to go off-roading. But let's say you were just, you inherited an uncle that you didn't even know dies, and you inherit like a classic Porsche. You, you don't want to take that thing off-roading. It's not meant for that, right? The best place to drive that brand new Porsche or that, that inherited Porsche would be where? Between the yellow line and the white line. That's the place where you're going to experience blessing, where you're going to experience peace, you're going to experience life, you're going to experience favor. That's the place that you want to be. Now, can we, just, can we just state the obvious? There are moments where there's going to be potholes. 
There's moments where you're going to experience roadkill. There's, in the summer, moments where you're going to have orange barrels all over the place, right? So I'm not trying to paint this as just the absolute picture of perfection, but what I'm saying, generally, as a rule of thumb, this is a place of blessing, peace, life, and favor. Now, here's, here's what we want to do. This is so helpful to think about it this way. Next to this place of wisdom is a place that we will call warning. And these are our rumble strips or our car farts, right? Like this is a place where you're not going to do any damage to your vehicle, but sometimes when we're driving, we get a little distracted. Sometimes when we're driving, we get a little drowsy. And as soon as you start moving past the white line, it's so nice to have those rumble strips, right? To wake you up and go, oh, okay, let me get back over, right? And you should make a course adjustment. When you hit the warning, you probably, when you hit the rumble strips, you're not going to necessarily do damage to your vehicle, right? In fact, I don't even know how you could damage, but maybe, maybe if you got like a, a, a vehicle that's being held together by the dirt and dust and you got, maybe that just that rumbling would make the whole thing fall apart. But for most of us, that's, that's not a place yet of, 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 of hurting our vehicle at all. It's a place of wake up, pay attention. There's another area next to the place of warning where the guardrails are, which is a place of damage. But like I mentioned before, I'd much rather hit the guardrail and damage my vehicle than to plow through the guardrail and end up in a ravine where I'm going to be needing a hospital or a morgue, right? And so, so think about it in this way. Often the place of wisdom is separated from the place of death by places of warning and damage. The problem is, for most of us, we've never really constructed in our lives, in certain areas of our lives, and we're going to get into details in a moment, we haven't constructed rumble strips, and we haven't constructed guardrails to help us understand when we're getting to the place of death. See, a lot of us, and you, you wouldn't admit this, and you wouldn't say this out loud, but a lot of us want to know, how close can I get to the guardrail without hitting it? Maybe in your finances, Maybe in your relationships. I don't, what, whatever area of your life, you are, how close can I get? And here's what I would argue, and here's what I would plead with you, is why don't you ask the question instead, what are the rumble strips of warning, and what are the guardrails that I need to put in my life to keep me from this place of death? Some of you are going, okay, so far this is just conceptual, and Ken, I'm really not following you. I wish you'd be a little bit more clear. Let's go to the New Testament, and let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. As you're turning to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm just going to keep saying Ephesians chapter 5 is a way to get you to actually turn there. You want to know that I'm not preaching heresy, right? You want to see this in your own Bibles. As you're turning to Ephesians, here's the context, is that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a group of Jesus followers in an actual city called Ephesus. And Paul has a lot of history. In fact, probably out of all the churches, Paul has spent the most time, at least to this point, in Ephesus. He, he moved to Ephesus. He had a day job where he worked, but he had a sent mentality. And so as he communicated with the people around him and he started sharing the gospel with them, people started receiving the grace of Jesus, started becoming followers of Jesus. And so they, they established a church. Now, for the whole lifetime of Paul, and even a couple centuries after Paul, in Ephesus, they would never have a building. Their church wasn't a building. Their church was this gathering, this assembly of Jesus followers, right? And so here, here was the, 
here was the resistance that Paul had to face and that he was really challenging these new followers of Jesus. In Ephesus, Ephesus was a place where anything goes. There weren't the cultural rumble strips. There weren't the cultural guardrails that exist even here in the United States. You say, well, Ken, I can't imagine that 2,000 years ago there would be a place worse culturally than the culture that we live in. And I I would just say, here's an example. Even in their worship in Ephesus, Ephesus was a pagan city. They had temples to all kinds of different gods. And part, this was just normal in pagan worship back then in Ephesus in these temples. Along with their temple worship, they would have temple prostitutes. And so adultery wasn't a thing that people would even think twice about. Adultery was normal, and adultery related to religion was even normal. This is how wicked and twisted this culture was. And this is the air that they breathed. This was normal. They wouldn't think twice. Like some of us go, really, like you go to church and hook up with someone you didn't know, and that was part of worship. Some of you who aren't yet Christians are going, that seems oddly intriguing. (laughs) And I'm ashamed of you. I'm ashamed of all the followers of Jesus. He just laughed at that. Oh, okay, whatever. So, so, so here's the thing. Like, so Paul is writing to this group, and listen, they have just become followers of Jesus. And so you know, when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't instantly, like a switch isn't flipped, where instantly your worldview completely changes. And so Paul is having to say, listen, I know you grew up in this, but this isn't good, and it's not healthy, And it's not a place of blessing and peace and life and favor. And so he has to start helping them to understand a different way of living that goes against how they've always grown up living. It goes against how their friends live, how their family members live. It was literally countercultural. And if there's anything I know about living counterculturally is most of the time it sounds good, but when you have to live that way, we don't like like it. Because countercultural means I'm going against the flow. It means other people might think that I'm weird. So with that all in mind, now have you found Ephesians? <laughs> We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and I just want to highlight a couple verses here. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. Paul says this. He's writing to his friends. I think he's writing to us. He says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Would you say that phrase with me? Be very careful then how you live. It, the, the literal of this, if you're, if you're looking at the Greek manuscripts, the literal is watch where you step. And the best example that I have is Carrie and I, in our family, we have a 12-year-old dog named Radley. And our dog is way cuter than your dog and way better than your dog, okay? So I just want you to know that ahead of time. But Radley does something we're a little ashamed of and, and you know, don't judge us. But our dog um, has not learned how to use a toilet in our in our pristine bathrooms our dog has to do his business so we take him outside and he goes into there's this kind of area of our backyard that he for whatever reason that's his kind of familiar spot and he does his business and so if you were to come over to our house this afternoon maybe tonight you know the weather's passed and we have a fire or something and you were to go out into our backyard we would say hey watch where you step watch where you step why because I don't want you to walk back into my house with gifts from Radley sticking to the bottom of your feet right Watch where you step. Paul is saying in this culture that we live in, and this was true 2,000 years ago, Paul is saying in this culture, you, you need to watch where you step. You need to be careful how you live because you can live in a way that lines up with wisdom or you can live in a way that ends up in death. Be very careful then how you live. And then just to make it clear, he says, not as unwise but as wise. 
See, we all have a choice in how we live. We can live as the unwise, which means we don't pay any attention to the rumble strips. We don't pay any attention to guardrails. We never sit down and even intentionally think through what those things should be. We just go for the moment, do whatever feels good. We don't care about the future. We just care about now, and that's a place of death. He says, don't live as the unwise. Live as the wise. He says this, making the most of every opportunity. And can I tell you, the older that I get, the more that I have regrets of times where I'm like, man, I wish I could get that moment back. I wish I could reuse some of the time that I misspent going down paths that really ended up being paths of damage or even death. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Pay attention. Watch where you're stepping. Don't live as the unwise. Make sure that you're making the most of the opportunities you get. And then here's just a reason, because the days are, what? Because the days are evil. And I don't have to explain that, because we get it. We understand that we live in evil times. So then he says this, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. To quote someone that none of our students in this room are even going to get this, but some of you in this room will get this. To quote the one and only Mr. T, I pity the fool. <laughs> I pity the fool, right? Like, in other words, what is Mr. T saying? Some of you are still looking at Mr. T. Is that a brand of iced teas? Like, what, what is that about? Mr. T, he, he says, listen, I, you shouldn't be stupid. Don't be foolish. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't be foolish. And here, here's how we can keep from foolishness understand what the Lord's will is. To Ken, if only. I'd love to know what the Lord's will is. It's right here in Scripture. As you study the Word of God, as you read the Word of God, you want to grow in wisdom? Study the Proverbs. Start, just start studying the Word of God. You will begin to understand what the Lord's will is. And then he gives us a very practical example. And today, we're going to spend the next few minutes that we have together talking about this practical example. Next week, we're going to talk about another practical example. But he just, in one verse, he just lays it out. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So much we need to unpack here. See, Paul brings up an area where we desperately need some rumble strips and guardrails. Because I think we all agree that there is a place of wisdom and everybody in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, maybe you're here and you're just trying to figure out what you believe about God, we all agree when it comes to alcohol, there's a place of wisdom and we all agree that there's a place of death. We all have friends, we all know people who have done significant damage to their relationships. Significant damage to people around them because they went too far when it came to alcohol and they found themselves in a place of death. See, in my years of pastoring, my interactions with alcoholic parents and their kids have all been terrible. Usually when I'm asked to sit down in a situation where there's alcoholic parents who have kids, it's not a good thing. I don't have any stories that end with, and once they started drinking, everything got better. You know, our marriage was really messed up. We had a hard time communicating. There was so much conflict. But once we really started drinking, I mean really started drinking, man, our marriage got so much better, Pastor. Maybe that's your story. I haven't heard that story. I've got friends who have ruined their lives and ruined the lives of others because of the things that they did when they had gone too far and drank too much. So what is the place between wisdom and the place of death? It's a place of constructing rumble strips and guardrails into your life. 
And here's the thing, if you are not intentional and strategic about this, if you don't spend some time really thinking through this, this is a slippery slope, isn't it? I mean, before you know it, man, we are just going to have a drink. We are just going to have a couple of drinks. And before you know it, you don't remember what you did last night. You don't remember who you flirted with. You don't remember that you said that. You don't, the pictures that you saw on social media the next day, you're like, when did that happen? Right? Because there's no rumble strips and there's no guardrails. And so before you know it, I'm all the way over here. And what is Paul's instruction? What does he say here? He says, be very careful then. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Okay, so we got, we got, we got to make this clear. Paul says, the guardrail is drunkenness. Do not, this is a place of t- going too far, is a place of drunkenness. Why? Because he knows what's on the other side of drunkenness. He knows what's on the other side of the guardrail. What's on the other side? Debauchery. Okay, let's just, some of you are like, debauchery. That's a great big word. I've never, you don't use that, probably none of you used that word in a conversation yesterday, right? <laughs> what in the world is debauchery, right? I mean, okay, thanks, Paul. Don't get drunk with wine. Have no idea what debauchery is. Debauchery is basically, for all intents and purposes, debauchery is out of control living. Debauchery is that place where I don't know what I did. I don't remember that. I don't remember that I said that. I don't remember that I was with her. I don't remember that I was flirting with somebody else. I don't remember any of that, right? This is, he says, listen, the guardrail is drunkenness. The other side of it is debauchery. You better pay attention. And then he says this, instead be filled with the Spirit. See, the, it, the issue for Paul, and really the issue for anybody in this room that's a follower of Jesus, the issue here is influence and control. The issue is who or what will you allow to influence and control your behavior and your decisions. See, alcohol isn't a sin issue as much as it is a wisdom issue. And that's really important for some of you in this room to get. For some of you in this room, you've been stuck on, well, is drinking a sin? And you always want to know the definition. And can I just be clear? Sometimes as a church, we haven't communicated that very well with people. Remember, I grew up in a church, it was very clear that alcohol was a sin. You drink one beer and you're going straight to hell. That was never told to me, but that's how I kind of felt like it. And so I remember as a teenager when we started reading the Bible, and can I just, newsflash, alcohol is all over the Bible. And it's not always a bad thing. It's not always a negative thing. So we started reading our Bibles and going, well, then what else have they said is a sin that isn't a sin? Right? Here's what I want you to get. Alcohol, it's it's not just just a sin issue, or it's, it's not even a sin issue. It's a wisdom issue. Because I want to live in a place of blessing and peace and life and favor. And we all know, we all agreed that there's a place of death. I want to know what are the places in between that keep me from getting all the way over here. You get what I'm saying? None of us plan to mess up our lives any more than we plan to wreck our cars. We just never made any plans not to. We don't plan to experience financial ruin through debt. We don't plan to get into a violent marriage. We don't plan to get involved with someone who's already married. We don't plan to get addicted. We just never took the time to establish some guardrails and some rumble strips in our lives to keep us from ever getting to that place. And this is how God wants to protect you. And so 
As I've been talking, maybe something very specific has come to your mind. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking even through something I didn't say and you've already started thinking through some guardrails. But can I just help you? Because maybe some of you are sitting here and you're going, I have no idea what a rumble strip or guardrail would be when it comes to alcohol. So can I just present to you a few ideas, a few thoughts to chew on, okay? Here's the first one. The first one is personally, I avoid the whole warning zone by, and this is a personal choice, Carrie and I have decided we're just not gonna drink. We're just gonna be sober. We're gonna stay sober. By the way, that's a personal choice. I'm not saying that it's a sin for you. I'm just saying for me, it's a choice of wisdom. And by the way, probably most of you like the fact that we're making this choice because you don't want to go into Applebee's and see your pastor sloshed and and hitting on the waitress, right? (laughs) And so you're like, yeah, pastor, we're glad you've made that decision. I get that. Here's the thing. My hunch is some of you in this room need to make that your guardrail. I'm not saying everybody in the room needs to do that. My hunch is, based on your personal history, based on the history of your parents and of other relatives, based on experiences, some of you, wisdom would be just deciding, my guardrail is, I'm just going to live sober. Here, maybe, maybe for you, man, my voice is starting to go, this is crazy. Uh, maybe it's a hard limit. Maybe you need to sit down ahead of time and decide what you will drink and what the limit will be and then you need to make that clear. Now, can I tell you that that's a hard guardrail because most of you guys know in this room, you can say that something's a limit. We're just gonna go out and we're gonna have a beer. We're gonna go out and have a couple beers, but we all know that as I get those in my system, sometimes I forget the guardrail. Uh, We all know that I was talking to a guy earlier and he says, you know what, usually there's a bell that goes off in my mind where I know, okay, I've hit a limit. But he says, unfortunately, the bell doesn't always work. And so that's what we're talking about here, having some guardrails. Maybe the guardrail is where you will go and where you will not go. I think a lot of people, the issue with alcohol isn't just the, it's the issue of, of the place. And so sometimes I just know if I'm going to go to this place, it's not going to end up good. It's not going to end up good. There may be some places that you just need to stay away from. And as I'm saying this, some of you are actually thinking of places. And if you're thinking of places, you should probably write it down while you're thinking about it. Okay, my guardrail needs to be, I don't go here. Along with that, maybe it's a guardrail of who you need to stay away from. You might have some friends or family members who in this season of your life, you need to limit your interactions. I'm not saying that you don't ever hang out with them, but here's the deal. You know that whenever you're with these people, you, you tend to drink a lot. What am I doing? Oh, I thought you were making a signal to me. Aaron's like, I'm like, okay, move over here. Listen, for some of you, it's family members. And whenever you're with these family members, it always ends up in a bad place. Can I just encourage you? Either change change a place where you're hanging out. Maybe change what you're going to do. Hey, instead of doing this, we're going to do this. Or maybe for a season of time, you just need to say, we're we're just not going to be able to hang out. If you're struggling to find some guardrails, seek out a mature, godly friend. Have an honest conversation with them and get their advice. And can I tell you, this is wisdom. In fact, all over the wisdom literature, you will see the importance of seeking out godly counsel. If you don't know where the guardrail, if you're totally confused by what I'm saying, you're going, I don't have any clue of what the guardrails need to be for me. Sit down and have a conversation with somebody who knows you, someone who's godly, somebody who's mature, 
And just say, hey, based on my experiences, based on my family history, just lay it out, be real and honest with someone who's not gonna go and broadcast that to everybody else and just say, hey, could you help me understand like maybe where some guardrails should be for me? When you know what your guardrail needs to be, here's the most important thing that I can tell you. Write it down. A guardrail in your mind is like a invisible, it's like a, it's an idea of a guardrail on the road. We don't want the idea of a guardrail on the road. We want an actual guardrail on the road, right? And so can I just encourage you, if you're already beginning to get what your guardrail should be, just start writing those things down. Make a declaration that this is going to be my guardrail. Are you with me? Oh, you're a lifesaver. Thank you so much. I don't know what's going on here. Um, let me give you a few more things. Here's a legitimate question. What are you trying to escape? If alcohol is an issue, you need to, ask, you need to answer this question. What are you trying to escape? For a lot of us, it's hurt. You've experienced hurt. And so alcohol is a way to numb that. It's a way to get away from that. And you need to be able to answer that question. What am I trying to escape? Have you tried letting Jesus help you instead of going to alcohol? Many times in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Wisdom. And so you can go to the Holy Spirit, who is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son, and you can say, Holy Spirit, I need wisdom here. I don't know what these should be. Holy Spirit, would you show me? Would you give me clarity? And then here's the other thing that you can ask the Holy Spirit to do. Would you empower me? Holy Spirit, would you give me the power and the boldness to live the way that you want me to live. Because here's the thing. God isn't after taking things away from you. God wants you to experience blessing and peace and life and favor. As I've been talking, maybe I've been talking about alcohol for the last few minutes, but for you, your mind is going in a different area of your life where you've been dancing on a rumble strip. It may be something in a relationship you may be married and yet there's a guy or girl at work and nothing has happened yet, but you know you're dancing on a rumble strip. And God is saying, I want you to back up. I want you to move out of this place of warning and move back into the place of wisdom. What would it look like to back up to someplace safe and put a guardrail on the ground? I'll tell you right now, your buddies might not ever understand it. You may have family members who might say, what, are you too good for us? You, you're doing this religious thing now. You're Jesus freak here now. I'm telling you, when you decide to make a personal conviction, and here's what I would always say. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying that I shouldn't. You don't, you don't make it about everybody else. Your guardrail may not be everybody else's guardrail. Do you know that? My guardrail doesn't necessarily need to be your guardrail unless you're in a place where you go, yeah, that's wisdom for me too. Here's, the, here's one of the last things that I want to say. This doesn't just affect you. See, on this ride of life, we almost always have passengers along the, for the ride, don't we? I was talking to a gentleman after the first service, and he goes, man, what you were saying today, he goes, I've hurt so many people. This is too important of an area for you to walk out of here and to forget what we're talking about. If I could beg you, I don't do this every Sunday, if I could beg you, sit down and think through what the guardrails need to be. Write them down. Tell somebody about them. And my promise to you, based on Scripture and based on personal experience, is no one has ever regretted establishing a guardrail, ever. But plenty of people regret that they never did. 
Can I say that again? In my experience, nobody has ever regretted establishing a guardrail. But I know plenty of people who wish that they could go back in time and do it. Their regret is that they never did it. Here's the final thing I want to say. Some of you, as I'm talking, are going, Ken, it's too late for me. I already went way past the rumble strip. I blew right through that guardrail. I'm down in the ravine, and I don't think there's any hope for me. See, we serve a God who has a supernatural divine tow truck ministry. And he can get in the hardest, most difficult places. And if you are listening to me today, you're in the room or you're watching online and you're listening to me, I want you to know there's still hope for you. You're not too far gone. The lie of the enemy is, well, you're too far gone. The lie of the enemy is, I can't. I I would never be able to. I'm just like my dad. I'm just like my grandpa. I can't change. Can I tell you it's a lie? With God, all things are possible. There's still hope for you. There's still time for you. You can make a choice today. Here at Journey, we have a very practical tow truck ministry. It's called Chain Breakers. We meet on Sunday nights. We meet tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. Love for you to come. You don't have to say a word. You can just sit and listen to other people talk about what God is doing in their lives. Maybe you're on the other side of it and you have a loved one who's, an, who's ad- addicted. And maybe for you, you're sick and tired of you being the tow truck. I mean, you need some other people who have been there. We have a ministry again tonight at 6 p.m. for loved ones of addicts. And we'd love for you to come. And it's just a place for you to hear and share and a safe place for God to begin to do his work of transformation in and through you. What I want you to know is God loves you. He loves you so much. He wants you to keep from this place of death. He wants you to have some, some rumble strips and guardrails in your life. Next week, we're going to be talking about relationships. We're going to talk about some guardrails for marriage. We're going to talk about some guardrails for those of you who are single. Some guardrails that will keep you from death. You really should come back. In fact, some of you are already thinking of people you need to invite to come back next week. Invite them. It's going to be so practical. It's going to be so wise. Would you stand to your feet? As you're standing, I want you to know you are so loved. You are so loved. Doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. You have a heavenly father that if you will turn to him and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I've sinned against you. I've blown right past your warnings. I've done all the things you told me not to. Here's the thing. God, would you have mercy on me? And God's answer is always yes. When you come to your senses and turn to him and start walking in the direction of your heavenly father, he runs to you. He loves you. In fact, he already went the distance in sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. He loves you so much. Can I just encourage you today? Can I challenge you to move toward him? Move toward him. All it takes, right where you're at, all it takes is saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God, that you died on the cross and you were raised from the grave. Empower me to live for you. Give me the courage to do the things that I need to do. Give me the courage to sit down with somebody and to talk to them about the rumble strips and guardrails that I need in my life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you go, if you need prayer, our prayer partners are going to be available at the front. Don't forget your connection cards as you're leaving. We have some good-looking folks back there with white buckets. You can uh, give them your connection cards. We'll see you next week.
We'll be talking about some relational guardrails next week. See you later.